Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman, and tonight we've got another episode of what we call Talk Back for you. In our Talk Back episodes, we listen to a sermon or a podcast or other audio from uh, well-known pastors or teachers, and then we break in with our commentary as we compare his or her teaching with the Word of God. Now, these episodes will be mostly unscripted and spontaneous, so apologies to our listeners who like to read our scripts, but if you want to read this and future episodes of Talk Back, uh, you'll have to head on over to our YouTube channel and read the captions, which are great. They really are. And Amy, they've added another feature in addition to those captions on the videos. I recently noticed that YouTube has, and I mean, I say recently, I recently noticed this. They could have done this a year ago and I wouldn't have probably (laughs) noticed, but I just happened to notice the other day that they've installed a minute by minute transcript feature that our listeners can access anytime. They can just read through it. They don't have to watch, you know, the captions on the video. So listeners, if you need that, if you want to read the transcript, All you have to do is go to YouTube and click on whichever of our videos you want to watch. And then underneath the video, you'll see the title of the video. And then underneath that, you'll see a gray uh, information box. And all you have to do is click on more and then scroll down and click on transcript and it'll pop up and appear. So that's really handy and we're really thankful for that. But back to talk back. We also want to remind you that the the goal of our talk back episodes is to help you learn to listen with a discerning ear and to think critically and biblically about teachers and materials which purport to be Christian. We're not attacking, we're not slandering, we're not nitpicking. We love you and we want to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and not be deceived. So with that, let's dive right in. Okay. Well, we're going to share four clips from four different church services uh, that demonstrate what happens when speakers, uh, and we really can't call these folks pastors at this point, and and you're going to find out why in just a little bit, uh, but what happens when they add their own opinions and worldly cultural influences to the Word of God? These examples that we've selected tonight are not from Word of Faith or New Apostolic Reformation services like we've shared in the past, but from the other end of the spectrum, and that is the progressive Christianity movement. Now, some of these speakers have huge followings, while others have maybe just a few in their pews. They're more localized, but each one has a circle of influence in which they are teaching for shameful gain, unfortunately. Now, first, We're going to take you up to Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, we're going to hear from Minister Carla, that's right, Carla Bailey of the United Church of Christ's Pilgrim Congregational Church up there in Duluth. And uh, this clip was from a sermon that she preached, and and we think that this might have been the the children's portion uh, because she was right up front with the kids on this one. And uh, so this might have been uh, part of the children's section. We're not quite sure, Uh, but this is uh, one that she preached on the story of Noah. Um, and she uh, did this about a month ago as we record this, so it's pretty recent. Now, you can't see this, so I want to set this up a little bit. But um, she has handed out rainbow flags to her flock, and, you know, Noah, rainbow, right? And uh, unfortunately, those flags also contain the LGBTQ triangle. You know, the one uh, that I'm talking about, Michelle. So it's not just any rainbow. And as she's giving her sermon, she's waving her rainbow flag, and the children in the front row are waving theirs. You can see this on uh, the camera of the video. And here's how she explained the flood and God's wrath and redemption in this sermon. So did you know that there are rainbow stories in the Bible? Yes, not very many, but there's one that's my special favorite. Do you know the story about Noah's Ark? You ever heard of Noah's Ark? No? Well, let me tell you. There was this person named Noah and he had a big family And he lived at a time, this is just a story, it's like a myth. He lived at a time when people all around his family were doing mean things. Mean, mean things. And so God was mad at all the mean things. So I didn't really think that God had a sense of outrage, but apparently she does. (laughs) 
So in a fit of rage, God said, Noah, I am going to cause a big flood and we're going to get rid of everything and start over again. But I want you to build a very, very, very big boat, an ark. And in that ark, you are going to put two of every animal. And the waters began to come down and it rained and rained and rained and rained. And you know, here's the thing. When God saw all of that mess, all of those beautiful things and people that had been destroyed by the water, well, God kind of rejected, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Regret, regret, there's the word. God regretted that. And so God said to Noah and his family, I'm never going to do that again. Even when people do bad things, I'm going to find a way to love them anyway. And you know how you can tell that I'm never going to do that again? I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. And every time you see that rainbow, you'll know I'll never do that bad thing again. I'll love you always. That's why I love rainbows. That's one of the reasons. Happy Pride. Ah, oh, happy pride is how she ended this clip. Uh, Michelle, I don't even know where to start. Um, but aside from the fact that this woman is disobeying scripture by holding the office of pastor and preaching to uh, men in her church, let's talk about the many, many ways here that in just the short few minutes, she twists scripture in her message. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, there's just so much to go through here. Um, she kind of starts off by saying, uh, telling the kids, this is just a story. It's like a myth, you know, and I have right. to go, well, then why bother? Why, why are you doing church? What is the point of, of even pretending that you're doing church? Why don't they just go to drag queen story hour at the public library instead of pretending to go to church? You're just going to come together and teach the kitties, you know, fairy tales and, and probably the, the rest of the audience too. Um, yeah. And, and may I point out, Michelle, that Jesus sure thought that Noah was a real person. <laughs> he talked about Noah not as a myth or a legend or a story or a parable. He talked about him as a real person because he was. Yes, exactly. And and we can say that of the entire Bible. It is true. It's grounded in history. These were very yeah. real people, unless Jesus indicates that it was a parable or an example or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I don't understand what the point of Christianity is to these people. If they don't believe it, if they don't think it's true, why bother? You know, maybe that's just me. I would like yeah. to, if I didn't believe in it, I would sleep late on Sunday mornings, right. you know? <laughs> Yeah. So um, a myth about mean people. The people were so mean. They yeah. were just bad and and God was mad. Oh boy. Yeah, if God is mad and that's bad that God is mad. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, she said the people are being mean, but the people were probably committing a lot of the same sins that she's championing in her church, so-called church yeah. right now. So, yeah, there's just so much in here. Yeah. Um she, she said, I, I didn't really think that God had a sense of outrage, but apparently she does. So in a fit of rage, yeah, you know, oh God, is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and the funny thing is, is that God's preferred pronouns are he and his. That's right. right. But not she. That's right. I hers. mean, yeah. did you did you misgender God there? You know, did you assume God's pronouns? <laughs> What's going on here? Right. Apparently, that's a bigger sin these days, but yeah, it's okay if she does it. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, God has never had a fit of rage. That's something that sinful human beings do. When God pours out his wrath, he does it without sinful anger. He does it without any sort of sin at all. And he does it in a measured, uh, perfect way when he does it. Um, Having a fit of rage, that's a sin. And she's really, you know... She's teaching these people to hate the real God of the Bible because she's making him out to be some sort of horrible monster, 
You know, he he regretted that he had sent the flood, she said. No, he did not. The Bible says nothing of the sort. Oh, no. That- yeah. And not only that, he's going to do it again one day. Only this time he's going not going to do it by a flood, but he's going to do it by fire. He's going to destroy the earth. So, I mean, there's, yeah. did you see any other things in there that, that you wanted to, to point out? Cause there's, there's a few other things, I think. There, there, yeah. Well, well, and she talked about, you know, two of every animal, um, on the, no, it's, it's two of every right. kind. And, and yeah. And, and then at the end, when she said, when God saw all those beautiful mm. people he destroyed, uh, you know, the, the regret part, they weren't, beautiful they were sinful they were very wicked so you know and you know it's almost like she's saying i'm gonna find a way to love them anyway yeah even when they do bad things i'll never do that bad thing again and again i i I feel like michelle we should probably uh read the passage so that our listeners can hear the truth you know if you haven't read uh genesis chapter six for a while uh why don't we do that um why don't i start i'll just take a genesis chapter six starting at verse five The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So he didn't regret the flood part at the end. He regretted even that he made man on earth. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it goes on chapter, or verse nine says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And then he goes on to describe, you know, the the length of the ark and um, 300 cubits by the breadth of 50 cubits, height of 30 cubits. And he talks about, you know, the roof and everything. And then he says in verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So you already, Michelle, you're seeing um, huge discrepancies in how she's describing her myth, uh, you know, and you hold that up to the light of scripture of what really happened. Mm-hmm. And you can see a, a night and day difference. Right. And and we'll note that when she was telling this story, she was just telling the story that she had made up. She was not reading this from a Bible of any sort of description. <laughs> she didn't even have a Bible in her hands. Probably there wasn't mm-hmm. even a Bible in that church. There had been a Bible in that church. You know, it might have spontaneously combusted <laughs> or something like that. So, yeah, that was just yeah. really awful. Um oh. Yeah. And then to see her waving the flag the whole time, the rainbow flag, which was not, right. you know, really an abomination flag of uh, not not the rainbow that uh, that God had promised Noah. Right. And, you know, Genesis eight goes on to, to explain a lot more about that, about why God did what he did and um, and what it all meant. And let me just briefly read that. We're uh, in Genesis eight, starting at verse 11. He says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Like I said before, we know that he's going to destroy the earth by fire. Uh, 
at a later date. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that w- that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So here is the explanation. You know, the the rainbow is not a sign of God being sorry and feeling like he did something wrong to destroy the earth. The rainbow is his grace to us to reassure us when, you know, I don't know how it rains up there, Amy, but we've had a lot of flooding down here, you know, over the years. And sometimes when it starts raining really hard, I get really nervous, but that, that rainbow comes out. And I, every time I see that rainbow, I remember this passage. It's his promise to us. That never again is he going to flood the earth. And I think it is so amazing because it's something you can actually see. You can take a picture of a rainbow. You know, you can see it with your eyes. A lot of the things, the other things that God has given us as promises and and signs and and things of this nature are, you know, they're spiritual things. We we can't really see them with our physical eyes. So I, I just think that is really cool that God has given, given us something that we can actually put our eyeballs on and see as a sign of yes. his promise. I, I agree, Michelle. Yeah. I just wanted to add one more thing. If, um, you know, if our listeners will go back and watch the video of this, um, they will see, and it, it's true of a lot of videos like this, they'll see uh, in a lot of these videos, almost always it's it's a congregation mostly made up of a few old people like in their 70s and 80s and maybe 90s or something like that and i think a lot of i don't think these elderly people are joining these churches because of, of you know of these shenanigans that are going on with perversion i I strongly think that a lot of these people have been members of those churches for 40, 50, 60, ever how many years, and they just will not leave that church no matter what, because that's my church. You know, I've, you know, sometimes you hear, you'll hear people say to uh, older people say to a preacher, you know, I've been here 50 years and I'll be here when you're gone, you know, and and they are. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, it is, it is one thing to be faithful to your church. That is really good. It's, you don't want to jump ship the, the moment there's the hint of a problem. But, you know, it's another thing not to leave a church when you should. And when, when stuff like this is happening in your church, it is way past time to leave and find a doctrinally sound church. So I think that's really one thing that we can learn, uh, for ourselves from these, these videos is, you know, if there's a if problems come up, you try to work them out. You try to talk to your pastor. But if your pastor just keeps going on downhill like this, it's time to leave because that's not a church anymore. Yeah. So. It, it is so sad, and so many of these churches are are going in this um, progressive uh, direction. And we're going to put some links in our show notes today, Michelle. Not only of uh, Minister Carla Bailey here of uh, United Church of Christ Pilgrim Congregational Church, but um, but also of some resources so that you can understand what progressive Christianity uh, is, where it came from, right. who the leaders are of it, and uh, and all the different tentacles uh, of uh, you know. The harmful suction cups that suck people right in, um, basically promising, you know, world peace and and a better earth. And you're going to hear that in in even more clips in the in the moments ahead here. Uh, but I want you to all know also that I, I did spend some a, a lot of time looking at this church website and and looking at at uh, Minister Carla's uh, sermons here. And uh, there isn't a good one in the bunch. I, I can tell you that that they're all I'm trusting God's word. Um, it, it, are you shocked? Yeah. I'm so shocked. Yeah. And, and this is why, you know, <laughs> this is why women need to understand why uh, roles were established early on in the early church um, for this reason. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is what the first step 
to getting to where Reverend Carla is, is, you know, women start stepping outside their role uh, as godly women in the church, you know, teaching men, uh, exercising authority over men. And it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And this is where you end up. If you could trace that church's history back, you know, backwards, that's what you would find is you would find that there was it started with a mm-hmm. a small, just gradual erosion of the biblical roles of men and women. And that's where it ends up. So and I got to say, would you say the name of the church is Pilgrim something? I got to say, if if she's if they're talking about the pilgrims that came over on the Mayflower, those pilgrims are rolling over in their <laughs> graves listening to this. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, and a lot of the United Church of Christ's, um, you know, they they all hearken back to the Pilgrim days. They they like to look back and say, "We've been here. Uh, we're one of the largest uh, Congregationalist type churches," and uh, and a lot of them are are merging together. You know, United Church of Christ is where um, my my parents are mm. right now, and that's well, they don't actually go, but um, but that's where they claim to go. And and like you said, Michelle, my you know my mom has said, I, I that's my church since I was a little girl, and and that's where right. I'll stay. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's that refusal to leave. And we've, we've talked about that, um, right. but it's not going to happen. Well, I think so. um, people who are truly regenerated, they start seeing stuff like this happen and they start getting worried and nervous and they feel like I just can't stay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so hopefully right. the, you know, the Holy Spirit is is going to be working on you and and showing you you need to get out of here, but fast, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. Well, next we're going to hear from mega church pastor Andy Stanley of North Point Church in Atlanta last month as we're recording this. And the reason that we're including him in the progressive uh, sound bites is because he has long demonstrated and has sown confusion among his massive audiences about same sex relationships. Now, he most recently held a two-day conference at his church titled Unconditional, featuring LGBTQ-affirming speakers. So there's that. And then he's also demonstrated that he is very confused about who Jesus is and the gospel message. So take a listen to this. Maybe it's just me. Is, Is that too much for us to imagine, especially at Christmas? When we celebrate, God became one of us to show us the way forward, the way to live, the way to be better people, to create a better world, to create a safer world, to create a culture where everyone feels the dignity of being made in the image of God. Should should that be hard for us to imagine? with as many Christians as there are in our communities, for as many Christians as there are in our nation. Is it too much to imagine Christians reminding people of Christ? Isn't it strange that I would even have to say that? Now, if you're not a Christian, this is why, right? I mean, if you're not a Christian, this is why you push back. It's not that you don't believe what we believe, it's worse than that. You're not convinced we believe what we say we believe. And you have every right not to. We're so divided. If we can't, come on, if we can't get along with ourselves, why in the world would you want to be a part of that? You're not convinced we believe it. And honestly, at times, I'm not convinced that we really do either. But what if we did? Okay, Amy, you heard him. Any thoughts? Oh, I have so many. Um, you know, just right off the top of my head, any any Christian should be able to hear, you know, Jesus became one of us, right? Okay, to create a better world. To create a better world, you know, right. you know, it's one thing to um to talk about Jesus and in, in who he is. He he actually stands in our place as a propitiation for our sins. He mm-hmm. creates in us a clean heart, he renews a right spirit within us. Um, he washes away our sin, he gives us a new heart. Uh, we're not we're not here to create a better world unless by creating an, a better world you're saying, you know, shine the light of Christ, share the gospel, make disciples. That's 
that's, you know, I, I guess that's that's creating a better world, but you're not going to catch everybody. So uh, we're, we're still right. going to see, as Jesus said, the days get darker and, and you know, things getting worse for Christians. But uh, but yes. that's what we're to do. We, we are to proclaim Christ. We're not we're, we're not here to to make a cleaner culture. Only Jesus can do that. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. And he started off the video. I just had to laugh. He started off the video by saying, maybe it's just me. And I thought, yeah, it's just you because this is not the Bible. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, yes. just about everything that he said was like 180 degrees from what the Bible says. I mean, he starts off there's and there's a on the video, there's a screen behind him that says a world where we were as committed to behaving correctly as we are to believing correctly. Yes. Okay. I saw that. <laughs> well, it is important to behave correctly as Christians, but when we believe correctly, you know, we have faith in Christ, we're believing the Bible, that's transformative. And then we do behave correctly, not perfectly, of course, but you got a much better shot of behaving correctly if your faith and trust are in Christ, you're believing correctly. Um, so that that just started things off right there. Um, you know, some people will say this is nitpicking, but the way that he said, uh, God became one of us. God did not become one of us. You know, we are fallen, sinful, finite creatures. Jesus didn't become one of us. He, the second person of the triune Godhead, put on a human body. He was fully God and fully man simultaneously. That's not one of us. May, Amy, are you fully God and fully man? I'm not. <laughs> no. No, I don't think any of our listeners are close. either. Yeah. He was not one of us. He was truly a unique uh, human, you know, in his humanness. Um, but it's, you know, like I said, a lot of people think that's nitpicking, but we've got to be careful about our language with these things because language shapes the way we think. So it's imperative, uh, imperative to uh, use biblical language about yes. God. And then just all these other little phraseologies that he used. He didn't come to show us the way forward. You know, whatever that means. He came to live a perfect life, to become our perfect sacrifice, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he came for. And then, oh my goodness, saying that Jesus came to show us how to be better people, that is mm -hmm. diametrically opposed to scripture. We can't be better people. We can't even be better people just by looking at Jesus and trying to imitate him outside of a saving relationship with Christ. We can't be better right. people. That's why we need a savior. And, you know, to create a better, safer world, like you said, just, is he insane? Is he insane? What is wrong with him to be saying things like this? He knows better. He knows what the Bible says. He doesn't, he shouldn't be saying those things. No, no. And you know, Michelle, um, this this is the same progressive Christianity that, that follows the way of the world and just wants us to clean ourselves up so that we can be um, good people. I'm good enough. Um, so right. when you look at what the, the progressive Christians believe, they, they believe that, you know, they, they don't have a very high view of Scripture, first of all, and uh, and they don't even believe that, that Scripture is inerrant. You know, in fact, many of them will say, well, you know, maybe, maybe God, you know, influenced the Bible. Maybe he did Maybe it's a bunch of different people. Maybe, you know, over the years, it's been like telephone, you know, one generation to the next. And we know that mm -hmm. none of that is true, that the Bible is is God's word written through the generations. What is 1,500 years worth of uh, people that God used to write his word down and, you know, right. from all walks of life. It's it's many different authors who, who've um, come together to show us who Jesus is and who God is. It's, it's not right. how to to clean ourselves up or how to seek social justice, how right. to, you know, uh, bring critical race theory or whatever it is into the church. Um, and, and Andy Stanley has right. been um, deceiving people with a false Jesus for many, many years. And I'm, I'm very glad to see that that people right. are waking up to that. Yes. And, you know, I also t take issue with him saying, um, 
it's not that that unbelievers don't believe what we believe. It's that they don't believe that we believe what we say we believe, you know, but yeah, it is that unbelievers don't believe what actual Christians believe. It is that they they don't believe that. That's why they're unbelievers. And if, you know, we quote unquote, we if we don't believe what we say we believe in terms of Christian beliefs, then we're not Christians either. You know, it's it's not Christians sinning or acting uh, in conflict with what they say they believe that makes or keeps people unbelievers. They're unbelievers, A, because people like Andy don't preach the biblical gospel, and B, they love their sin more than they love Jesus. That was true yeah. of all of us before we got saved. And, you know, and he just goes on to say, oh, we're we're so divided, you know, like he's just so overwrought by this, you know. Yes, we are so divided because of false teachers like Andy dividing us. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So if he's so concerned about division in Christianity, then he needs to stop teaching false doctrine. You know, the ball's in his court. Yeah. Come on, Andy, stop teaching false doctrine. Yeah. And while he is, he's also said that he doesn't want to put, you know, God in the proverbial box. Uh, God put himself there, by yeah. the way. And he said, don't, don't go outside the box. But, um, but he, you know, he, he wants to be light and, and he, uh, really doesn't want non-believers to look at him and say, wow, you, um, you're really, you know, you're really not a nice guy, Andy. You're talking about God mm-hmm. in, in truth, and so, yeah, we we really, um, you know, this this man pleasing thing that he's got is very, so very common. Yes. All right. Well, let's go on to example number three. Now, this one comes from St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And you're going to hear from a gentleman named Dr. Adam Schumacher speaking about the book of Acts. Now, um, just to set the scene, because I know this is a podcast and you can't see this unless you go and click on our show notes and watch the video, uh, but he's wearing this uh, rainbow-colored, uh, the, these vestments. I, I believe it's called the maniple or the, the stole part that goes around the neck. And, and of course, it's rainbow colored. And he's discussing Philip and eunuch from Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 26 through 40. And let's just hear what he says about this. And, you know, I say every year that churches like ours are some of the most important participants in pride, certainly the most subversive. And I think we know why. For the Christian and the Holy Bible have all too often been used by church people, by congregations, as weapons against LGBTQIA people, to marginalize, to demonize, and to exclude. And this is wrong on every level imaginable. First and foremost, because it is just plain cruel. It's behavior that diminishes us all. But also, because I would argue that this is actually contrary to the Christian faith. This is contrary to the overarching witness of the Bible. Sure, 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 you can take a verse of Scripture out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. Which leads me to our very interesting reading today from the Acts of the Apostles, a reading that is popular amongst queer theologians in the church. For here we have the deacon Philip being led by the Spirit of God to have an encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. Let inclusivity is a fruit of the Spirit of God. And we can see that in our reading today from Acts. For Philip is led by the Spirit to have an encounter with an outsider of outsiders. For here we have an African. This is the first instance, by the way, of an African being baptized in the Bible, who lives far from Jerusalem, a Gentile, and a sexual minority a non-binary person of his day. And some scholars 
have argued that the Greek word that is translated into the English word eunuch actually implies a greater spectrum of identity than that word might mean to us today. So here we have, friends, a queer person of color, and the Spirit of God leads Philip to have an encounter with them. All right, Michelle. Well, um, that's an interesting take, and it actually is one, as I've researched the progressive church, that I've heard before. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, something occurred to me. This is, you know, you said this is in South Carolina, and Andy Stanley, I think, is in Atlanta. So people in my neck of the woods, you know, this is the Bible Belt. Don't think you're safe from this kind of thing, because it's happening down here just like it's happening anywhere else. But, you know, it just he said that the church has used the Bible to marginalize and demonize and exclude people whose sin of choice is sexual immorality, sodomy and perversion. And he says it's wrong on every level imaginable and it's cruel. So, again, we go back to this thing about language. He's painting a picture with his words. Um, He's trying to get you to think that that the church is the bad guy, that the church is evil, that yeah. the Bible is evil, that Christians are evil, that Christianity is evil. But if you sit down and you think about what he's saying, and sometimes when you're when you're trying to sort things like this out, it really helps to just turn off the video and not watch or listen to it, but read it off of, you know, off of a transcript or something like that. So you don't have yeah. the all these things that are distracting you and maybe swaying you emotionally or with your senses like we've talked about before. But the church, the church has not done any of that. Sinful individuals, many, you know, who claim to be Christians but aren't even genuinely saved, Maybe they here and there have have done that kind of thing. They've been mean to people they shouldn't have been mean to that, you know, what regardless of what kind of sin the person was participating in. And Christians have rightly used the Bible to lovingly call sinners to repentance. And that, like I said, that's love. That's not marginalizing and weaponizing and all this stuff. The, the language that he's using is right out of the mouth of the serpent in the garden. He wants people yeah. to believe um, that, the, the, again, the gospel, the church, the Bible, Christianity, God. He wants people to believe that all those things are bad and that Satan's shiny apple of sin is good. You know, just like he said in the garden, did mm-hmm. God really say, you know, does, does the Bible really say these things or are people just using the Bible to be mean? So, you know, that's yeah. the first thing that jumped out at me. Yeah. And, and you know, you can practically hear the hissing of the snake. Yes. So, um, you know, and he, and he talks about um, inclusivity and how, mm-hmm. you know, um, we need to be inclusive, uh, which another is another buzzword these days. Um, but if you read the Bible, God is exclusive, Right. Um, and he but he calls it inclusivity is a is a fruit of God. Um not not the way he's using it. And right. so and, and here's another common play. Um th- this is a really interesting um kind of a sleight of hand with the with the English language. Uh what he says was, you know, he'll say, Some say eunuch implies a spectrum of right. sexual identity. And then he'll jump to so here we have a queer person right, of color. Right, right, right. You know, he did uh, some some people say this so now it's true and this is what I'm going to preach to you. Right. When the scripture doesn't really say that. Mm-hmm. I I looked at I went and looked at Acts uh chapter 8 and 26 and I'm I'm looking at this thinking nope, um it doesn't say that and it doesn't say anything about inclusivity at all. So, um why don't I just read a couple passages real quick, Michelle. Okay. Uh, this is uh Acts chapter 8, I'm going to start at 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Oh, I can't imagine the rejoicing that that was happening in that moment, Michelle, when he when the the, the word of God was open to him. Yeah, you know, and and this is nothing has nothing to do with inclusivity or, um, you know, him being a eunuch. That that just happened to be you know his position in life. It wasn't anything to do with uh, being a a homosexual black man. You know, that had nothing to do with it. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's inclusive in this way that God has sent his son to into the world for for people all over the world, people from all walks of life and everyone, everyone's included in this. Everyone to come to Christ must repent of his sin, no matter what kind of sin you're involved in. Right. Um, you don't get to be a special. I mean, they're excluding themselves. They're saying it's okay if we stay in our sin and and we can still be Christians. Everybody else has to repent, but we're special. So see, so they're excluding yeah. themselves when Christ includes them and says, "No, you must repent and believe." the gospel. Yeah. So when, when, um, like you were saying a second ago, when somebody says, um, some scholars have argued this or that, you know, you better find out who those scholars are and whether or not they're doctrinally sound. Cause this dude ain't going to quote doctrinally sound Bible scholars unless he's planning to mock and revile them, Right. <laughs> you know? So yeah, be sure you know what you're listening to. And yeah, you're right. He did gloss straight from that into accepting what they said as, as biblical fact, as, as gospel, you might say, Right. you know, um, I, I found it really, uh, <laughs> really interesting that he said, you can take a verse of scripture out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. And <laughs> I thought, yes. you know, this is, <laughs> this is Beth Moore, look in the mirror. You are the man level irony. I mean, he's, he's twisting the entirety of scripture, you know? Um, it's just, it's amazing to me that people don't go, oh, that's what I'm doing. You know, I, how, I don't have any business saying that other people are doing that when I'm doing that right now. (laughs) But, you know, we have to, we have to understand what's going on here at a sort of a spiritual warfare level. You know, these are not just innocent, misguided people who are simply, you know, they're just saying whatever they think and they're just mistaken in what they're saying. These people are slaves of their father, the devil, and he is actively using them as his soldiers in his war against God. He wants to drag as many people off to hell as he possibly can to get back at God for casting him out, to make God suffer, you know, in the way that he thinks God ought to suffer. And if he can, if he thinks he can, to to defeat God, you know, that's what he wants to do. He hates mm-hmm. you, Christian. He hates uh, garden variety unbelievers, and he hates these grunts in his army. He wants to destroy everything he can. Pull back the curtain and look at this with spiritual eyes. Satan is deceptive, and there is more going on backstage than meets the eye. We have to look at what's going on behind what we can see. We Christians have the mind of Christ. We need to think with the mind of Christ and see things through his eyes. Amen. And you know, th- this is particularly uh, heartbreaking for me, Michelle, because this is the movement that I came mm-hmm. out of, uh, the progressive Christianity. In fact, I was raised um, in the Unitarian Church, which is mm-hmm. uh, just a step up from total atheism. And, and in fact, many people in that church were atheists, but they would go to this, these churches anyway, and, um, and, and they'd hear worldly teachings, and, and it was really, um, really heartbreaking. And so many people I love are still 
still in that mindset. And, and so it's, it's very, very hard. But, uh, in case you're wondering, ladies, there's actually, uh, you know, besides just being a movement of progressive, uh, Christianity, um, there's actually, uh, kind of a, a few sites out there, uh, you know, or organizations with speakers and, you know, much the same way that you might have with Bible believing Christians. Um, progressivechristianity.org is, is a whole movement, uh, that I've been, um, kind of exposing for years. And, you know, they, they say what they believe right on their website that, uh, you know, following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacred, uh, you know, sacredness and wholeness and unity, um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But, um, they seek community that is inclusive of all people in honoring differences in theological perspective, age, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, class or ability, that kind of thing. They strive for peace and justice. So social justice is actually very huge, uh, in, in this movement. And so, um, you just have to kind of look at all of, all of the different things that they, they believe, what they're involved in, whether it's, um, you know, going after, um, environmental kindness and, and, uh, you know, those are the kind of things that they engage in all the way to, um, being, pro-abortion, you know, standing up for Planned Parenthood. In fact, um, the next person we're going to talk about actually wears uh, pink vestments with Planned Parenthood on them. And uh, you can just imagine how heartbreaking that is. And, and it's um, it's frightening that uh, the, the heartbreaking thing, Michelle, is that there are so many lambs in the pews whose eyes have, have not been opened yet. And I feel like we need to be more truthful in, in reaching those folks. You know, that's where the mission field is. It's not necessarily, I mean, it is in the the jungles of remote parts of the world, but it's also right here in our neighborhoods, in these social justice churches, these progressive churches where people have never heard the gospel before. They've never heard the truth before. And so we need to continually look at our own neighborhoods and, and share Christ's love, his truth, his redemption, and and hopefully the Lord will use that in his great providence and, and open some eyes and hearts. Yeah, I really hope so. You know, we need to be very vigilant and very wise and discerning as Christians, because the mission field starts with the person on the pew next to you in your church. You know, there's there yeah. are unsaved people in my church, there are unsaved people in your church, and there are definitely tons of unsaved people in these churches that we're talking about tonight. And like we've said before in past episodes, when a person claims to be a Christian and the fruit of her life screams lost, you are under no obligation to believe her that she is actually a regenerated Christian. A lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but we can't know what's in her heart. Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the hands do and the yes. feet go. I mean, I added those last two. Jesus didn't say that. But, you know, he says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And the bad per the person out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. You know, we can tell what's in people's hearts by looking at what they do and where they go and what they say. You know, maybe we can't tell perfectly 100 yeah. percent of the time, but we can tell with these people. These people do not know Christ. And we shouldn't be timid about saying that because people's eternities are at stake. Don't believe someone who says she's a Christian and lives like hell. OK, and that's what these people are doing. They need the gospel. Don't assume that when someone says she's a Christian, she is actually genuinely regenerated, especially if her life looks like she looks like she's not a Christian, if her words indicate that she's not yeah. a Christian, what she says she's a what she says she believes indicates that she's not a Christian. Don't believe her. Share the gospel with her. And you know what? The worst case scenario that that could happen is that you'll end up sharing the gospel with somebody who's already saved. And I tell you what, you share the gospel with me out of love and concern for me and I'm already a Christian you know what that's going to do to me? That's going to convict me to go out and share the gospel with other people. And I am going to appreciate that you loved me and cared about me so much that you would share the gospel with me. And I also might be a little convicted about whatever whatever it was I was doing or saying that led you to believe I wasn't a Christian. I need to repent of something. So 
Well, and I'm forever grateful that that was me, that that woman right. who thought she was a Christian, you know, and, and I was sitting in a pew every Sunday and having a great old time with my my new Christian-y friends. And um, I'm so thankful to my neighbor, Linda, from across the way who came over one day and she was in a Bible-believing church and, and she said, you know, I... I think you might be, uh, uh, I'd like to invite you to this Bible study that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, that sounds like fun. You know, we talked about when it was and everything. I said, is there anything I need to bring? She goes, yeah, a Bible would be helpful. (laughs) I didn't even own one. And so I've told that story before, but that started me on a journey of hearing the gospel for the very first time and repenting and believing. Um, And if she hadn't been that person in my backyard telling me that I needed to um, go to a Bible study and learn about Jesus, I, I tell you, I don't know where I'd be right now. I mean, the Lord has his way of, of pulling me and, and using other people to um, speak truth to me, and, and he sure did that day. So I'm, I'm grateful to him, and I'm sure grateful to her. Yes. Thank you, Linda, wherever you are. We love you. And we <laughs> yes. all of our neighbors who, I mean, think about it, ladies. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Where would you be if somebody right. gospel with you? You go be that person to somebody else. You know, that's what God yeah. commands us to do. We've got to be out there sharing the gospel, even with people who claim they're Christians, but look like anything but a Christian. So right. take that as another lesson. We need to be out there sharing the gospel. Yes. Be a Linda. <laughs> yes. Be a Linda. All right. Our last clip from uh, the Progressive Church comes from an ELCA pastrix, and that's uh, ELCA is Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. The ELCA wing of Lutheranism has long departed biblical orthodoxy in favor of all the world's Mm -hmm. carnality, unfortunately. Luther is another one who'd probably be rolling over in his grave, I'm sure. it's, you know, the leadership of the ELCA includes a lot of women, homosexuals, transgender people, not that there's any such thing, uh, and folks who uh, embrace cultural Marxism and abortion and all of that stuff. Pretty much anything that's sinful, yeah. you know, they're into it. So in, in just a second, we're going to hear from Pastrix L. Dowd, that's E-L-L-E, I'm not saying the letter L, L. Dowd is her last name, who, among other things, uh, serves on the Clergy Advocacy Board for Planned Parenthood. Can you believe there's even such a thing? Right. Um, she, is yeah. a, she is a quote-unquote <laughs> pastor in Chicago, and her quote-unquote church's <laughs> website says, <laughs> we are progressive. We are radically inclusive. We are justice seeking and we are community rooted in faith. So the clip we're going to play is very short. It's actually her reaction to a verse that was just read from 1 Corinthians 118 through 31. In fact, she has a problem with that passage and even left out a part. So before we hear from Elle, let's read the whole of that passage and uh, and see what she's reacting to there. <clears throat> Okay. Here's what it says. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
So here's what Pastrix L. Dowd had to say about that. Father Ken already introduced me a little bit, but I just wanted to say hi and say thank you. My name is Pastor L. I use pronouns like she or they. I'm a campus minister in Chicago for a joint Lutheran Episcopal campus ministry downtown on the Loop, where I also pastor to a group of unhoused folks. Um, before we get started, we, I wanted to just name something, too, uh, from the reading from Corinthians. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So... Um, Putting that reading in original context, um, Paul himself uh, was a Jewish man, right? And so there were sort of inter-Jewish conversations and disagreements about the role of Jesus and what that means. Uh, but really, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul's being kind of a jerk, both about Jewish people and about the Greeks. And even more important than his original intent is the way that verses like that have been used throughout the ages to harm our Jewish siblings. And so we wanted to just sort of name that right out, even before we got started with anything else, um, and to kind of put that before us as something, particularly those of us gathered here who are Christians, the way that we can look at the way our traditions, the way that our scriptures have been used to harm our siblings and to be accountable for that. So thank you. All right, Amy, there you have it. Thoughts? <laughs> um, yikes. <laughs> so, you know, here here she's painting, and, and believe me, I've heard this all my life. Here she's painting Paul as being this big meanie to Jews and Greeks, right? And she calls him a jerk. A jerk. Yeah. Wow. Was he? Of course he wasn't. You know, he was speaking about the unbelievers in order to explain to them who God is and to warn them about their foolish hearts. And he's actually talking to the church in Corinth about unity of all things, right? Unity in the cross and the, the resurrection of Christ. So, um, you know, and, and he continues to argue that being divided denies the gospel of Christ. So we don't want to be divided. We want to be uh, unified around the gospel. So, um, you know, and the, the unbelieving world, of course, sees Christ's death on the cross as foolish seeing it as a sign of weakness or, you know, a proof of, you know, maybe he was a criminal or whatever it was. Uh, however, this is where God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. And so she takes issue with that. She she thinks Paul is a jerk for saying those things. Yeah. And not only is Paul not being a jerk, Paul's not being a jerk. You see, because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by whom? God. Yes. So this is God's scripture. Is God being a jerk in First Corinthians? I don't think so. You know, no. um, oh, goodness, there is just so much here. Um, I want to touch there on what so she much. said. I want to touch on what she said about when she said, I just want to name something. Did you catch that at the beginning, yeah. Amy? Yes, I, I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, this is really, uh, it's in a way, it's similar to the way that New Apostolic Reformation and Word of Faith people think that their words actually literally create something. Uh, similar to that, these progressives think that this, this name something phraseology sort of wards off and removes things in the Bible that they don't like. You know, they, they sort of build offensive words around it and sort of cut it out of the Bible verbally. And it really, it, a pagan belief that to to name an evil spirit or a person or whatever empties it of its power that that if you have that spirit or that person's name that gives you power over that thing so she's naming this passage of scripture she says it once at the beginning and then once when she's finished naming it sort of like you know uh two two different uh sides of a fence um, yeah. that she's putting around it so that she can sort of excise this from the Bible because she finds it so offensive. Yes. And in doing that, she uh, has whipped out her big exacto knife and she's cut out the parts of the Bible that she doesn't like and, you, you know, and assigns them evil. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, just this whole, <laughs> because it's yikes, you know, <laughs> this just is killing me. I, I just have to, yeah. I have to say that this, in addition to theologically offending me, this offends me grammatically. Yikes is an exclamatory, like you would say, wow, or oh my, or mercy me, or something like that. It is not an adjective, like scary or grotesque or objectionable. So I take grammatical right. <laughs> offense at her using an exclamatory as though it's an adjective. 
But that aside, I just had to get that out there. That was driving me crazy. But what blasphemy to call (laughs) any part of God's word and thus God himself as yikes. Can you imagine? She's going to have to stand before God one day and answer that, answer for that. Yeah, and she won't be able to say anything because she'll she'll be remaining silent as he's passing judgment. It's a, a very frightening thing to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, I it, it occurred to me when she was talking about uh, the context of the passage, when these people, these progressives, when they t- talk about putting things into context, taking things out of context, they don't mean that like we mean it. When we talk about context, we're talking about the tone, (laughs) the intent, the content of of the immediate and broader text of Scripture that that passage is in. When they talk about context, they're talking about the context of their warped agenda. What does this mean in the context of the progressive agenda, in other words? What does this mean uh, as we're trying to push perversion, as we're trying to push wokeness, or we're trying to push... um, you know, any of these other other issues. That's what they mean by context. So, you know, it, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, me. Let, let me put this in, in the 21st century context of, of my agenda is exact, you're exactly right, Michelle. Right. And then another thing that went by really fast, and I'm not, I didn't even catch it the first time that I watched this video, you know, when it popped up in my Twitter feed. But she says in there, When she's talking about the context, she says this, even more important than his original intent, than Paul's original intent, is the way that those verses have been used. Yes, I did catch that. Yeah, I figured you would. But uh, yeah, so she's, I mean, listen to that again, listeners, even more important than Paul's original intent is the way that those verses have been used to harm Mm -hmm. people, you know, according to her. She's saying that the way Sinful people have used this passage wrongly to harm people, and the way that godly people have used this passage to evangelize and disciple people out of the sins progressives love, which they also see as harming people. Her personal perception of people being, quote unquote, harmed by these verses is more important than what God meant by them. So it's okay to throw them out you know, to despise them and just to stomp them all over the place with your, with your feet. So that, that's something really, really important that, that we need to, to catch. And again, we are not nitpicking, but you've got to really listen carefully to their language and exactly what they're saying. So, um, and, you know, and then she goes on to say something about those of us who are Christians here, blah, 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 blah. Unless there's a Christian undercover there that's doing research, there's not a Christian in that building. I mean, I don't even see how even a baby Christian could sit still for all this. I've I've heard too many Christians say, you know, when they were a baby Christian or something in situations like this, they'll say, I knew something was wrong and I had to get out of there. So I just don't see how there are any Christians in that building. It's hard to see that. Do you know what I, I what I noticed overall? Kind of this whole overarching theme of of wisdom and and foolishness is that this passage is describing teachers like her. Really, you know, the gospel message yeah. is very simple. It's it's so simple that a child can understand it. And uh, you know, in in Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus uh, praises the Father because He has hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and revealed them to little children. So she's actually in that wise and learned camp where she thinks she's wise, and uh, I I don't think she's actually ever really studied the the scriptures, or or she would know that this is speaking of her. But God's truth is not yeah. foolish. It you know, of course, it's you know of infinite value and it it brings life for all who believe and unfortunately she doesn't have that life i i can listen to her i can i can look at all of the things that she uh is involved in these these extracurricular activities with planned parenthood the um uh she does you know highly uh recommend going to drag shows she uh she does all these things but even if you didn't know all those things about her just listening to her you know murder scripture here is is enough to say 
wow, this is not somebody that we should be following. You know, uh, and scripture tells us, don't be wise in our own eyes in Proverbs. And we should mm-hmm. really, uh, you know, humbly submit to the Lord, but then also pray for the people sitting in those pews who are listening to her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because those are the ones who uh, hopefully the Lord will um, will soften their hearts, but, but we need to be praying and we need to be reaching out to them. Yes, especially if you know somebody personally who's involved in something like this. Yeah. It's very important to pray for them. It's the wisdom of the world, Amy. Amen. The wisdom of the world. Mm. Yeah. As we're going to wrap things up, Michelle, I do want to say that um, we did try to pick kind of a several different denominational progressive examples. And, and this this I guess this yeast of progressivism is seeping into just about every denomination, every mega church. I mean, you'll you'll see it seep in, and so we want to make sure that we're guarding ourselves and uh, and banding together in our churches and guarding our churches against these things because there is a concerted effort out there by the enemy using his minions, like you said, Michelle, to uh, to come in and disrupt things, and and that's a real thing and and a real and present danger, and so we need to make sure that uh, that our people are well equipped and well protected. Yes, absolutely. And and like we've said throughout the evening, there are things that we can learn from this just like just like you just mentioned uh for our own churches. You know, we can we can le- look at this and take a lesson from it so that we don't have to to go there uh in our churches. So that's really important. Well, that's going to wrap things up for another episode of Talk back on a word fitly spoken. As we close out, we definitely want to give credit where credit is due. So thanks so much to our friends over at Protestia for finding, watching, excerpting, and posting videos number one, three, and four. And then likewise to the dissenter for video number two of Andy Stanley. They made our job so much easier today, and we are really, really grateful to them for their hard work on those videos. Yes, we are. Also, be sure to stop by our website where you can check out all of our episodes all the way back to episode number one, if you like. Uh, You can also share our gospel presentation page on social media to proclaim the gospel to your friends. You can learn how to support us via PayPal or Patreon and so much more. And if you love A Word Fitly Spoken, would you please leave us a five-star rating and an encouraging review on your favorite podcast platform? When you do, it helps drive our ratings up and that helps us to get sound doctrine into the earbuds of more and more listeners all over the world. And as you can tell from tonight's show, that is desperately needed. Oh, it sure is. And until next time, listen up, talk back, and walk worthy. 